God is truly great, isn't he? We're going to learn about a little more about how great our God is this morning. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. If I were to walk outside of this church and uh, go out into this city and, and other cities in the surrounding area and just approach people at random and ask them, who is God? Do you think that for the most part, the majority of people would be on the same page with one another? Or do you think it'd be more like this? Check out this clip. The question is, who is God? Who is God? What I would like to do is rephrase that a bit to the question, perhaps, what is ultimate reality? That's a semantically null question to me, who is God? I have no concept of that, except maybe as a nebulous idea about a deity or an all-powerful being. I don't think you can say that God is anyone. God is what you think it is, and God is what you make it inside you. I picture what everybody, you know, everybody does. Big gray beard with white robe. I do believe in what I call God. God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think our heart is temple of God. God to me is the, the omnipresent and omnipotent one that dwells within man. I'm what I would consider to be a panentheist. So I believe that God is both imminent and transcendent. I believe God is the creator of the universe. He's the one that was before and the one that will be at the end. He's everything for us and everything around us. I don't believe in God at all. I'm quite practical. I believe in the evolution completely. And some people think that that's sad, but I, I think it's quite exciting that we all came from nothing. And um, My thoughts about God is I'm really confused right now because I'm really kind of a scientific person. Like, I don't believe it unless I see it. He's beyond my understanding, and in a good way, because I think if I understood God, I would freak out. Yeah. All right. I think that we would all agree that there is some confusion about who God is. Am I right? Like this video showed. But why is that the case? Why is there all this confusion? Why, why, do, why do people believe that, that God is, is, is in the trees and is, is in the waters? And why do some uh, believe that, that God could be a man or woman or something else altogether? Why do others believe that to know God and whether God exists is, is just impossible? And, and why do they also believe that to know him personally is just a ridiculous concept? I mean, why all this confusion about who God is? Is it because God is silent? Is it because God has left this question unanswered? Is it because God has not revealed himself to us, nor does he want to be known by us? Well, this morning we're going to answer this question. And what I'm going to do for the rest of the morning is I'm going to show you the overwhelming evidence from the scriptures that our God wants to be known, that that is his desire to be known. And my prayer for each and every one of you is as you mature in Christ and as you grow in your knowledge of God, that this too would become your desire as well. What I've done this morning is 
I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you three things from the scripture that proves that God wants to be known. Here's the first thing. The first thing God does to prove that he wants to be made known is he creates. God has made himself known to us in creation. Now, an excellent question, a good question that has been asked throughout history is this. If God is in need of no one or nothing, which we believe is true from the scriptures, God self-exists, he's in need of no one or nothing, then why does he create? Now, some have incorrectly assumed that God created the world because he was lonely. As if the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have not existed together in perfect relationship, in perfect community for all eternity. I mean, God has always existed as a relationship, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that can't be the case. So why does God create? If not out of loneliness, then why? Well, I believe it's the answer is what we're talking about this morning. It's because God wants to be known. He is passionate about being known. So much so that God has created an entire universe in order to put us Man, men and women in it so that through it we might come to know him. God has created an environment for us, an atmosphere for us, a world for us so that through this atmosphere, through this environment, through this world, we might come to know him. That's why God creates. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. One of my favorite passages here in Genesis. So much going on here. Then God said, let us, notice the us there, make man in our image, after our likeness. We see God in, in community. We see God as Trinity right there. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created them, him. Male and female, he created them. God created all that is, ultimately for one reason, so that we would come to know and worship and live for him. This text tells us that we are created in the image of God. Now, how are we like God? There are a lot of ways, aren't there? In fact, in our equipping class on uh, what we believe, when we talked about what we believe about God and what we believe about man, we talked about the fact that we are created in God's image. And we talked about what that looks like. And, uh, and we discussed that there are a lot of ways that we're like God, aren't there? But there's one in particular I want to focus on this morning, and it's the fact that we are like God in that we have the capacity to know. Now, God is all-knowing, right? And, and we're not there. But to a much lesser extent, we are like God in that way in that we have the capacity to know and to grow in our knowledge. For example, 
we are able to have true and accurate knowledge about the world in which we live. That's what science is all about. Science is about gaining knowledge about our physical world. And why are we able to do that? Because we're created in the image of God. Therefore, we're able to know His world and how His world works. We're also able to know about one another. Not just on a surface, superficial level, but we're really able to know one another because we're created in the image of God. God, the Father, knows the Son. And the Son knows the Father. The Father knows the Spirit, and the Spirit knows the Father. The Son knows the Spirit, and the Spirit knows the Son. And they have this deep and intimate relationship with one another. And we are able, because we've been created in the image of God, to know one another to a much lesser extent, but we still are able to know one another in a deep way. Not only are we able to know about our world, And not only are we able to know about one another, but we are also able to know God. God has created us with the ability to know Him. No other created thing is able to know God the way that we are able to know Him. So this is why God created everything, and it's why He created us to live in this world so that in and through this world and in and through His created world and and the things that he created, we might come to know him. The second way that we see that God is committed to making himself known is not only in creation, but it's in redemption. God has made himself known in redemption. In the previous point, we talked about the fact that God created this World for us to live in so that we could know Him. And in the beginning, we had a very good beginning. We did. We're in perfect relationship with God. We had a perfect, unhindered fellowship with God. Now, how long did this last from Genesis 1? Not very long, right? Just about two chapters. In Genesis 3, we're told that our parents, Adam and Eve, Choose, chose to uh, reject this relationship with God and, and, and chose to go at life on their own without his guidance and direction. And you know what happened as a result, don't you? As a result, sin entered into the picture and this perfect relationship was shattered. Now consider this. This is very important. When sin entered into the picture... When this good and beautiful and perfect picture was ruined and wrecked by sin, God could have left it alone, couldn't he have? He could have left us to ourselves. He could have washed his hands from us and said, you know, I've had it with man. God could have done that, couldn't he? But he didn't. Instead, God chose to enter back in and to redeem and restore this picture. He chose to make, to, to make himself known to us once again by restoring and redeeming this broken and fallen world. Now, what is it within God that leads him to do this? To, restate, to redeem and to restore this broken picture. What is it within God that leads him to do this? Guess what it is? The same thing that leads him to create. 
It's because our God wants to be known. Why does he create in order to be known? Why does he enter into this broken picture, this sin-tainted picture, and choose to restore and redeem it? Because he wants to be known. God creates in order to be made known, and he redeems in order to be made known. Now, let's look at an example of this from the Old Testament. There are a lot of examples that I could give you, but for time's sake, I'm just going to show you one, and it's in the first book of the Bible, chapter 3, Genesis 3.15. Now, before I show you this, remember, this is right after man sinned against God. And look at what God says in Genesis 3.15. He says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, what's going on here? What's God doing here? You know what he's saying right here? As early as chapter 3 of book 1 in the Bible, God is committing himself to this broken picture. As God looks at this fallen world, ruined and wrecked by sin, he makes a commitment in chapter 3, a promise that he is going to restore this picture. He is, he is committing right here to redeem and to restore. Many people think we don't see the gospel until the New Testament. That's not true, is it? We see the gospel all the way back in the first book of the Bible in chapter 3. This is what many people call the, the first gospel. In this verse, we see hope. In this verse, we see God committing himself to this broken picture. And he says, through the seed of this woman, Eve, is going to come one person who is going to crush the serpent's head. Now, who is he talking about here? We know, right? He's talking about the Lord Jesus so what I want you to see here is, I want you to see that God, his commitment to redemption, it didn't begin in the New Testament. It began right after the fall in the Old Testament. And that's just one of many examples of God making himself known through redemption. Now granted, it's one of the more important ones. It's one of the earliest ones mentioned. But there are a lot of examples of this throughout the Old Testament. I want to challenge you to just go through the Old Testament and look at how many times God says, for my name's sake I'm doing this. I'm doing this for the sake of my name, for my name's sake, over and over again. And the reason why is because God wants to be known. And he makes himself known through redemption. Number three, God has made himself known in Christ. He's made himself known in creation, through redemption, and now in Christ. First, in his person. In his person. The person of Jesus proves to us that God is committed to making himself known. The incarnation, Jesus taking on flesh and dwelling among us, is the most important miracle in all the Bible, in all of Christianity. And it's interesting, we don't often talk about it all that much. But what we celebrate at Christmas, that miracle is the greatest miracle in Christianity because without it, 
If God the Son hadn't taken on flesh and, 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 and dwelt among us, if he hadn't have done that, we wouldn't have anything else. We wouldn't have an example. We wouldn't have a representative. We wouldn't have a substitute. We wouldn't have a mediator. We would not have a redeemer. The incarnation is the ultimate demonstration to us of God's desire to be made known. The very fact that God sends his son to earth is a powerful demonstration, a powerful indication that God wants to be known. He wants to be known to such an extent, get this, that he became one of us. He chose to enter into this world that he had created, that he created so that we could see him, so that we could touch him, so that we could hear from him directly. That's how committed God is to making himself known. So we see this commitment through the person of Jesus, but not only his person, in his works. In his works. Look at Romans 3, 25 and 26. You can turn there. I've got it up on the screen as well. Paul says this. God put forward Christ as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Notice the word show that I emphasize when reading that. Also translated, demonstrate. God is demonstrating or showing something to us while Jesus is on the cross. That word, when, it, when it says he put him forward, what the, the, the way that's translated literally is he put Jesus on display while Christ is on the cross. Now what is he trying to say by doing that? Well, God the Father is offering up the Son publicly as a sacrifice. Not in private, in public, for the whole world to see. So that anyone alive during that time could come and they could witness Christ being crucified. So historians could write about it and say there was a man in the first century who lived and he had a big following and he was crucified and his name was Jesus. God did that in a public way. He offered up Christ publicly. Another thing God was showing and was demonstrating here, according to this verse, is he's showing how committed he is to his righteousness. By God putting Christ forward, he's showing here that he takes sin seriously. He doesn't just forget about sin. He doesn't just sweep sin under the rug. Have you ever questioned whether or not God takes sin seriously? Look no further than the cross. He takes sin so seriously that in order to pay for it, he offers up his only son who is without sin. He who is perfect goes and takes on what we deserve. Not what he deserves, but what we deserve in our place. That's how serious God takes sin. It's also a public demonstration of God's grace, isn't it? God is so gracious 
that He willingly offers up His Son to die the death you and I deserve to die. God is saying publicly, look how gracious I am. That's good news, isn't it? That's the gospel. So, one of the main reasons that, that God offers up His Son is to show that He takes sin seriously, to show His righteousness, and also to show that He's a God of mercy. Another reason God offers up Christ and puts Him on public display at the cross is God is saying, I want to be known by you to such an extent that I'm willing to offer my Son as sacrifice so that I may be made known and so that I may be made known by you who know me to others. So if you ever question whether or not God is serious about being known, look no further than the cross once again. So we see that in His works. In the works of Jesus, God wants to be made known, number three. We also see it in Jesus' teachings. God is made known through the teachings of Jesus. I want to share with you a couple of different things that Jesus taught during His post-resurrection ministry that, that proved that God is passionate about being made known. First look at Matthew 28, 19 through 20, a familiar passage of Scripture, the Great Commission. Jesus says here, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now what's going on here? Well, like I said, this is during Jesus' post-resurrection ministry, which is the period of time after His resurrection and before He ascends to go be with the Father. And, and Jesus here is telling His disciples, this is your mission. This is your assignment. I'm going to leave, but you are to remain. And as you go out from here, you are to make disciples. As you are going, you are to make me known. Go spread my message. Go spread about me so that I may be known and worshipped where I am not known and worshipped. Then there's Acts 1.8, another familiar passage right before Jesus returns to be with the Father. And he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What is Jesus essentially saying here? Saying something similar, isn't he? Like he did in Matthew. He's saying, I want to be known where I am not known. This is what Jesus told us we're to be doing as believers and as a church until he returns. As we go out into the world, we are to make him known. We are to seek out followers of Christ who in turn are to seek out other followers of Christ in order that God may be made known. This is our mission as believers. This is our mission as a church. So I hope that you see from the Scriptures, and I, I hope it changes the way you read the Scriptures, begin to look for it. Look for the fact that God, from beginning to end, is committed, so committed to making Himself known. I want to end this morning by sharing with you 
what we are doing at, at Fellowship Bible Church to, uh, to make God known. We, uh, we look at making God known or impacting the world for Christ in uh, two broad categories. The first is how you are making God known and making an impact for Christ on a personal level. And the second way is how you can, how you can make an impact for Christ and make God known through the ministries of our church. First, let me talk about on a personal level. Our hope is that you are committed to making God known by living for Christ and living like Christ day in and day out. As you leave here, we hope that you take what you're learning here on Sunday morning and go and apply it to your life. Our hope is, as the people who see you on a daily basis, your friends, your family, your co-workers, as they see you live your life, and I hope it's attractive to them. I hope they are looking at your life and saying, man, there is just something different, something attractive about the way they live their life. Our hope is also that you are committed to making God known and making an impact for Christ by sharing Christ with others and by inviting them to come here on Sunday mornings. I mean, this is a great way for you to be involved in the disciple-making process by just inviting people to come here on Sunday mornings. As they come here on Sunday mornings, Sunday mornings are a great place for non-believers to be introduced to the person of Christ and for believers to come and get involved and get plugged in and grow up in Christ. So we want to encourage you to be involved in that, to invite people to come. So that's how we hope you get involved on a personal level. But we also want you to get involved on a corporate level as well, in and through the ministries of the church. And in terms of what we're doing as a church to make God known, we have a, we have a lot of a lot of opportunities here for you to do that and making him known both here and there, both locally and internationally. The way we view impact locally is like this. Locally, there's a lot of stuff going on, isn't there? I mean, it's Jacksonville, Texas. We're in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. There are all kinds of ministries, all kinds of service opportunities that you can be involved in. For example, there's Hope, there's Almond Tree, Cherokee County Crisis Center, Father's Love, and so on. So there are a lot of ways for you to get involved. There are places that have infrastructure in place who are doing great things to serve people in this community. Some of those are faith-based Ministries, others are not. But either one you get involved in, you can still and go plug in as a believer and make an impact for God and make an impact for Christ through your words and through your actions. One local ministry I want to highlight this morning is, is Elijah's Retreat. Jeff spoke a, a couple of months ago about the ministry that's going on at Elijah's Retreat. And we have decided as, as elders and as a church that we are going to uh, be involved directly in supporting this ministry. And remember, Jeff talked to us about the fact that families are struggling who have kids with autism. It's a daily struggle, and this is a great ministry for these, for these families. So this is a great way for us to be involved directly in representing Christ and ministering to those families. 
So, so this is a great, these are great ways for you to, to make God known and to make an impact for Christ locally. Now let me talk about what we're doing internationally. This is what we're spending our time the first part of July discussing is uh, what we are doing as a church, what are, we, what are we are supporting internationally. And we heard from the Fred Himes who were here last week uh, talking with us about their ministry in Nigeria and their ministry that we're highlighting this month. And I know that our church has taken several trips in the past and have, have come and come alongside them and assisted them in the work that they're doing. And I know we're going to be taking more trips. So I want you to encourage you to be involved in that way. So we support them. We also support the Wilsons now in Costa Rica. We support Cairo Farinas, who's in Nicaragua. We support the Muns in France and the Yinglings, who we'll hear from next week, who are ministering to Latin American people. So these are ways that, that we are involved. And, and when you give to the church, a portion of that money goes to support these missionaries and their ministry. And you can also be involved directly in supporting them. You can give direct support for any of our missionaries. And if you're feeling led to do that, I want to encourage you to do it. Now, another thing we're involved with internationally that I want to spend the rest of the, uh, this uh, time here this morning discussing with you is the work that's taking place in Nicaragua. Our church and another church, Fellowship Bible Church in Fort Smith, where I was before I came here, we are working in the same area of Nicaragua, in Corinto and in Chinandega, and we go at two separate times of the year to go and to teach at a Bible institute. They just went in June, and we're getting ready to go in November. And uh, this is just an incredible ministry that we're doing. What we do is we go to these to this Bible Institute for the purpose of equipping and training pastors in this area. Now let me tell you why this is so important. Unlike us here, pastors and, and church leaders and, and church members, they can't just go right down the street to Lifeway. And they don't have the money to do it anyways. They can't just get on Amazon.com or Christian book distributors and order a whole stack of books in their church. You know, the, the pastors can't do that and their church cover it in the budget. I mean, they, they don't have access to these resources like we have here in the States. So here's what we do. We go and we bring the resources to them. And not only that, we provide training for these pastors and church leaders. So it's just an incredible ministry it's an incredible way for us to prepare these pastors when preparing to preach the Word of God in their churches and to share Christ with non-Christians in their community. Um, I, I just, you know, the first time I went, I couldn't, I couldn't even wrap my mind around the fact that a pastor did not have any books to prepare for ministry. I, I don't know what I'd do if I was in that, in that situation. So it's a great, it's a great ministry. And uh, I want to encourage each and every one of you in here to be involved with this trip. Be involved with this trip. Now, some of you are asking, well, how can I do that? Well, I'll tell you. First way is by praying for the trip. That's something that's very important and it's something we all can be doing. 
Commit to pray for this trip. We're getting ready to go in November. Pray for the preparations. Pray for our time there and pray for what happens after we leave. Another way you can be involved is by giving toward the trip. And, and this is another thing that is needed and something we all can be doing. And I want to encourage you to give. Give toward those who are going to go, who are considering, uh, who are considering going, and pay to support a pastor. Now let me, let me talk a little bit more about the support of pastor for those of y'all that don't know because this is just an incredible thing. For $20, you can pay to send a pastor from Nicaragua to this Bible Institute for the entire week. Cover their food, cover the resources we provide, and the training that they will receive. This is a small price to pay for such an incredible thing. I mean, for $20, you can send a pastor to come and be equipped to be a better shepherd. I mean, what is more important than that? For $100, you can support five pastors. We'll, we'll take as much as you're willing to give us. But, but we, we have 100 slots available, and we have to raise uh, 2000 That's $2,000 we have to raise for our pastors. Brent's going to be set up at the table after service. We're going to give you an opportunity this morning to give to support a pastor, and he'll have more information about that. So praying and giving are ways you can be involved. The third way is through going. Many of you I know will not be able to. But I know that some of you are. And I hope that you'll consider, strongly consider praying about and consider going to this trip in November. It's going to be coming up quick, but uh, I, I just want you, if you're at all interested, be in prayer about that and consider going. Come by and talk to me about it. And uh, I, I promise you it is a life-changing Experience our, our next trip coming up in November, so pray about that. To give you a little idea to end the service today of what the, uh, the trip is like, to give you a taste of what this week is like, I want to end by showing you a video from my first trip to Nicaragua in August of 2009, and it actually was with this church. So I'm going to show you uh, this video, and then when it's over, I'll pray and you'll be dismissed. <laughs> 